You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's give it a jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Catherine Stoltz, a highly successful business executive with over 20 years of biotech experience. Over the course of her career, Catherine has held a variety of leadership positions, most recently as a general manager for Spain and Portugal. I'm very excited to have Catherine on as a guest because many of you out there listening in will walk away with some very valuable leadership tips. And I can say that with confidence because we used to work together at the same company for a number of years. And it's been a privilege watching her leadership journey as she moved into higher level leadership positions over the years with great success. Catherine, welcome to the Leadership Jam session. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me today. Are you ready to jam? I am ready to jam. All right, so let's talk about your leadership journey and best practices or some guiding principles in terms of what's important to you and how you approach leading your teams. Over the years, you grow into your leadership continuously as you learn from your prior experience and you keep building along the way. So the best way for me to kind of attack that question this morning is to really think about the whole objective of the organization and what the talents are on your team today and what you're trying to get accomplished. Nothing happens in isolation, usually, especially when you're leading teams. So understanding the company's objectives and needs of the area you're leading and then the talents on your team are really important. And striving for that measured balance and approach is how I approach leading my team. So how does that impact you in terms of of the people on your team? It's a little more challenging because you invest a significant amount of time in understanding the uh, individuals on your team and what their capabilities as well as their interests are. And you work with them at an individual level while still maintaining the eye on the overall objective of whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish as a project, as a function, or whatever um, area you're leading at that time. So as a leader, it takes a significant more time of investment because it's not just being focused on the outcome or the results of your uh, program or project. So you talked about investment in time and talent. So how do you approach your people related to the time you invest in, in developing them? So over the years, it's been my experience on my own journey and my own ability to grow. And now pulling that back into how I lead teams, there's times that there's talent on your team that don't recognize how much more they can really excel and what they need to, what they can give uh, to an organization. And at times as a leader, you may need to help them in seeing that potential. And it might need a little push of your talent to have them stretch into assignments that maybe they never thought possible for them. At other times, they may be ready and capable, but the opportunity hasn't necessarily arisen. As we know, many times movements in organizations are all about timing. And as a leader, maybe you pull them into a situation that um, otherwise wouldn't have been obviously available to them. And it's that fine balance of pushing and pulling, but most important, it's filling the space that your person that you're leading or you're coaching um, through their growth and development feels that they have 
a helping hand. My approach has never been push someone into the deep end of the pool and see if they can swim. Sometimes people do need a little bit of a nudge, but you're there on the sidelines making sure that they have all the tools that they need to be successful. I'm glad in how you explained and talked about pushing people into the deep end of the pool because I have seen over the years the mentality or the philosophy of some senior leaders is let's just throw them into the role and if they they'll either sink or swim and we'll know whether or not they're cut out for that. Now, sounds like you take the opposite approach. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it's opposite, but I, I definitely want people to swim. But sometimes we need to provide an environment in order for that to be successful. And as a leader, you need to be cognizant that, uh, if, especially if it's a stretch assignment and you know going into it, this is a stretch assignment for someone, that they may need a little bit of help to get there. And I do think that that's your responsibility as a leader to guide and shape that. Also being self-aware enough of how long that might take. Sometimes you do put people in stretch assignments and um, expect that to be a quick ramp up. And and other times you can have uh, more patience and have the person really grow into that role, but certainly not throw them in and abandon ship. That's definitely not the approach that I've seen be successful for teams and certainly not my approach to leadership. Now you have second line leaders reporting into you, VPs, So do you take the same approach, meaning that when you move or when you pull somebody into a new role and and you're stretching them uh, at that level, do you still invest the same amount of time? I think the time becomes a little different. The needs evolve as people move their way through organizations. You know, when you are looking at a first-line manager that's moving from their individual contributor role to their first opportunity to lead that team, and you are the director of of that first-line manager, the needs are going to be extremely different than if you're leading a more senior group of directors, executive directors that are now leading all functions or or very large-scale projects. But I think the approach is still the same because with every incremental addition of responsibilities that one gains, you don't know what you're getting into. So the leader or myself in this case, I I do look for those opportunities to continue to invest in the talent and help them grow into the role to be as successful as possible. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I I come across that a lot too, where senior leaders, they make the, the mistake of thinking because they're, they have a, a senior leader reporting into them uh, that they may not need as much guiding and, and support. But as you just talked about, depending on the scenario and new areas of responsibilities, that still holds true regardless of the level that you're moving into. Yeah, your, your evolution, you know, you go from being the doer, being the person that gets a lot of things done to then managing and coaching to then leading and shaping. And as you grow in the organization, it's all about influence. And can you really make the impact for very complicated things to continue to move in an organization? And at each step along the way, those are very different capabilities that shouldn't be taken for granted. I think that as we do with our families, (laughs) our kids grow over time and what they're able to do at 10 years old is absolutely not what they were able to do it too. And not to minimize what our leaders do in organizations to comparing that to children, but you would never abandon um, a young child learning a new skill set of riding a bike, climbing a tree and walk away. You, you'd be there to help them, spot them, hold their hand. And I really do think that as leaders, bringing some of that into our workplace culture 
is a positive thing. Yeah, and I think that's a great analogy. I mean, let's be honest. You know, managing people in many cases is similar to parenting, not in a demeaning way, but but in the way that you exactly described it. I am curious, on the push side of it, I love the the term push and, and pull people into into positions. What are some of the 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 downside or the the landmines for leaders to watch out for? I think that that when you push someone a little too soon, that they may not be ready. And I've seen this many times happen to talent in organizations where they are seen as one of those high-performing, high ca- highly capable, high-potential individuals, whatever label you want to give it. And then they put someone in an assignment that's quite big, maybe not even a step, a giant leap right, into um, responsibility. And without that support mechanism, without a ramp up space for the individual to grow into that role, when that person is not supported, I, I, I see the downside is that all of a sudden a really strong talent becomes labeled as something else because maybe they weren't as successful as had been expected in that new capacity. And I'm not sure that's a true only reflection on the individual. I, I think that that might be a reflection also on the leader that did not really provide the space and the time investment in order for that person to be successful because the raw ingredients were there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been pushed into that role. But maybe a bit more uh, support, coaching, ability to check in a little more often. I'm a big believer, as, as I think you are too, Rob, on situational leadership and knowing when someone needs direction, true direction, and when someone needs coaching. And, and even if you're in a senior role, and you take on new responsibilities, you might have to go back to the beginning of the curve to think through uh, how you're going to coach uh, the talent in front of you. I am sure there are many of my listeners out there who have seen this scenario go down, or perhaps it happened to them themselves, where all of a sudden you are viewed as a, you know, you're a top performer, you get put into a role that uh, is not, is unfamiliar to you, completely different skill sets, you don't get the right support or guidance, and all of a sudden, somehow, this employee is now labeled as a underperformer. And to your point, it's they don't own that. It's the leaders that made that decision to move him into that role without giving him the right guidance or support, or failing to realize that perhaps they may not even be the right fit for that role. So, Catherine, what's another important guiding principle for you in terms of how you approach leading your teams? This is um, one area that has continued to grow as I've been able to be in positions to hire talent, build teams, uh, reform teams, depending on the situation. And I think that the more diversity of experience and thought you have around the table makes for a much stronger team. And I think I'd like to explain that a little bit more. We often hire people, it's a given, they have to have the capabilities in order to do their function, whatever it is that they're representing, to the best of their abilities to add to the organization. But when you have a complete team, sometimes it's also important to have varying approaches to work sitting around the table. So what I mean by that is if we come into a leadership decision that really, really difficult uh, challenge that we're working through and everyone just says yes, then we haven't debated it. And I'm not sure it's the best product or outcome that could have developed. I think that having 
different types of uh, roles besides your functional capabilities around the table. Uh, maybe there is the person that can be a contrarian in one situation or someone who is very looks at things with glass half full all the time, but you need varying perspectives around the table in order for what I think is good work product at the end of the day as a leadership team. So when I'm building teams now, I'm, I'm not just looking at capabilities of the person coming to the table, but I'm also looking at how that complements with the other skill sets, maybe the softer skill sets of the people that I have already on the team. I think a lot of managers, when they're new, they kind of shy away from this to some extent right? without understanding the value of bringing people on the team who are diverse in terms of how you're talking about it. And, and it, it is important to have that type of uh, different thinking on the team, which really helps to lead to innovation. And not only that, it's counterintuitive. It, it does help with team unity in terms of how people appreciate different perspectives. I couldn't agree with you more. On the surface, people might say, ooh, I, I would rather have people that think just the way I do so that we can move the project along faster. But I actually think that's the count, the contra, uh, because then you're not really challenging yourself. And when that pothole eventually happens, as we all know, complex, messy things, especially in the healthcare industry, it's never smooth sailing. And if someone didn't raise their voice or feel comfortable in a trusting environment to say, I don't agree, you'd rather it before you launch the project than when you're halfway through. That then becomes a derailment down the road. Uh, I'd rather test it in the trust of a leadership team making decisions and discussions and debating issues before launching into a large initiative than saying down the road, oh, you know what? I had doubt about that, but I didn't really say anything. Oh, that, that I think is completely counterproductive. It is unfortunate, as you mentioned before, with people who do bring that, that healthy quality of, of debate, and at times they are labeled as a contrarian with a negative stigma, uh, which is unfortunate because you know, the, the person that's labeling them doesn't have the, the ability to see the value that that person brings to the team. You know, obviously, as long as it's it's not disruptive, but there is value yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I'm not saying contrarians should be coming to the table and, and you know uprooting all decisions and all um, and all processes and and all organizational norms. But if you are leading a group, uh, whether they work directly or indirectly for you, but you're you're leading a group and everyone is just nodding their head yes, yes, yes. I'm not sure you have the best work product coming out of that discussion. People should be debating the issues. People should be offering different perspectives. As a leader, if it's not happening, you should be inviting it because if everyone just walks out of the room of yes, you could have not had a meeting and just sent an email and said, here's what we're doing. But anything that's worth something significant for the organization that you are working for is absolutely worth the time of a debate a discussion. And yeah, sometimes someone has to play the role of the contrarian. And as long as it's done in a professional manner, uh, there's nothing wrong with planting different perspectives and maybe doubt into what might be thought of as the path forward. You may end up in the same place, but it's more well thought out because you had that discussion than if you would have just said yes from the beginning. Great insight. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. So just a few more questions for you. Thinking back to your first team that you led, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? 
I think that every time we move into that first leadership position, we don't always enter that role with the ultimate confidence. I think the confidence grows over time. The raw ingredients might be there. So I know that I approached my first team that I had the privilege of leading with trust, with openness. And over time, I grew with confidence that it's okay also to be as a leader vulnerable and open to different perspectives and that I didn't have all the answers. I think when we enter into our first managerial role, the feeling is, well, I was a great individual contributor. I was the subject matter expert or very talented in whatever it is that I was doing. And now I want to impart that wisdom onto my team. And I think over the years, when you start leading more and more people and your projects become more and more complicated, that actually evolves significantly. I don't know that I would have done anything different, but certainly it's a recognition that the confidence comes over time. Well, I think that's very refreshing for my listeners out there, particularly those who are new or just moving into a, a, a role where they're leading people, to hear somebody like you at an executive level talk about how the confidence grows over time and to hear you share that experience, I think that in itself uh, should give uh, confidence to our some of our listeners that it is a process. Right? It's an evolution. It is a process, but there's no destination either. I, I think as leaders, we're always growing and we're always learning. So you have to start somewhere. That confidence can grow over time, but it also, with every new challenge as a leader, you keep growing continuously. Absolutely. And the journey never ends in terms of, of growing and learning as a leader. And I think it's important what you said. One of the critical pieces is it's okay to be vulnerable. That's a characteristic of great leadership the ability to be vulnerable at times. And I think the vulnerability also helps in our um, first topic that we were talking about of pushing and pulling your talent because uh, you can't fill as a leader all the space of uh, what's needed. And there are people on your team that can absolutely complement what aren't your own key strengths, especially as you move out of functional roles and you look at more general management. As people evolve from the roles of I lead a certain area and a certain function to more broader leadership roles, general management-like roles, where you cannot be a subject matter expert in everything. It's not possible. So you do need to display that vulnerability to say, I'm really not familiar. You're the expert. Let's talk about it and um, invite the talent on your team to offer their uh, perspective and their expertise and have them grow and fill into space that you don't necessarily have the ability or the space to do yourself as a leader. Yeah, so true. Well said. Well, last question, because I know you enjoy reading books. Any books that, that you would like to recommend? I'll go to my classic oldie but goodie. That is The First 90 Days by uh, Michael Watkins. It's the book that I probably have referred to most through my career, every time I start a new role, a new area, I refer back to it. It's very basic, if you will, but it's fundamental. I think what I've done over the last few pivot points that I've had is that I've actually shared with my team my 90-day approach, and it actually has helped accelerate 
some of the onboarding and the learning. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the vulnerability of being okay to be open to say, I actually have a plan and that plan is going to evolve and it involves each of you on the team to work with me to bring me in a place that I can help the organization, but also for the ability to learn of what's happening. Because you walk into a new role, a new leadership position, you absolutely don't have all the answers. So it's an oldie but a goodie that I go back to pretty routinely. Yeah, for my listeners, we'll put the link to the book in the show notes. Well, Catherine, unfortunately, we are out of time. But on behalf of my listeners, I want to thank you for sharing some of your best practices and some of your guiding leadership principles. Thank you very much, Rob, for the opportunity. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're enjoying the podcast, then click the subscribe button, leave a review, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.